been healed by Jesus. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, Now nah, he is like him, or he looks like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How are your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I do not know. Verse 13, they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes and the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Then they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. <laughs> and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared. Notice, daddy right there had a prime opportunity to speak for his son, but he didn't because he feared. Never let fear keep you from speaking up. And standing up for your sons and your daughters. He said, uh, they feared the Jews because the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, that they'd be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, <laughs> now I see. You're not going to believe this. Verse 26, then they said to him again. That's where I'll stop. Put some respect on my name. Come on, say it to yourself. Put some respect on my name. God, help. Appreciate it. Amen. Be seated. feel really bad for the blind man. Irks me like a stone in my shoe just saying it like that. Because no other person in scripture received an entire chapter dedicated to their story and yet didn't include their name. Only thing we know about his identity is he's called over and over again the blind man. Puzzling, even after he was healed and the label no longer fits, they still refer to him as the blind man. Some people won't let you escape what you've been through. 
And instead of using your name, they'll define you by things that you've gone through in your life. Second reason I feel bad for him is he was born blind, which means not only are his eyes dark, his mind is dark. He'd never seen the sky, the ground. His spatial awareness was thrown off. He's never seen the movement of his own hand or his feet, never seen his reflection, never seen another person. So much of our education as human beings is informed by relating to what we see. But he didn't have that. And so there were many spheres of the world that he was locked out of because he had never seen. You know the reason you can dream when you go to sleep at night and your eyes are closed? The reason you can dream and see things so vividly is because previously you have seen something. But if you've never seen something, your mind is dark. No imaginations, no pictures, no images, as he's never seen. Third reason I feel bad for him is he's a blind man living in a community of people who could see. So not only does he bear the burden of blindness, he bears the burden of being different in public. Most of us are blessed with problems we can easily hide. And we hide our problems, not necessarily to be fake. We hide our problems because we have a modicum of dignity. But this man was robbed of the dignity of being able to hide his problem. In our text, verse 8 of John chapter 9, the most amazing thing has happened. Jesus has passed by seen the blind man, had mercy on him, and opened up his eyes, changed his status. For the first time in his life, he can see. And the fourth reason I feel sorry for him is, I'm sure he thought when he was blind, if I could just see. All my trouble would be over. But as soon as Jesus opens the blind man's eyes, new trouble instantly begins. Because we don't understand as people that the ending of one problem is the beginning of another. You know, we think if I could just have what I don't have then I wouldn't have all the trouble I have. If I just had a million dollars, if I just had what's escaping me, then I'd be happy. And you can't explain this to people. It's why you're not really getting with me on that point. Because we worship the idea of getting what we don't have. I've lived long enough, pastored long enough to see people who were just depressed and and despondent because they were single. And then see them get married and get depressed and despondent because they're married. I've seen people hate their their lifestyle, like how busy they are, how how much they have to deal with and manage and, and cry all the time about the drain and the pressure and the stress. And so they switch things up and then they hate the new life they get because every type of lifestyle, every decision you make, every forward motion, every blessing comes with a burden. If you're looking for blessings without burdens, you're going to have to wait until you get to heaven. Every good thing comes with a bad thing. Every high thing comes with a low thing. Everything that makes you smile comes with something that has the potential to make you cry. You have to just grow up and realize there are no good days without some bad days sprinkled in. There are no happy times without some misery sprinkled in. It's called life. And so the question is, you know, you want to be blessed. Can you stand to be blessed? 
Because the more blessing that comes, the more problems and burdens and difficulties that come. The fifth reason I feel bad for the bad is like, like, I, Kenya, I don't know if you can get with me on this. He's a grown man that's never seen. Jesus opens his eyes. Can you imagine the information that his brain is, is trying to process in that one moment? Okay. He's opening his eye and he's seeing the sky and the clouds and the trees and the ground in his, his own hand and other people. Can you imagine the, the load of processing coming through his optic nerve for the first time, creating images in his mind? And so he's dealing with a mix of emotions. On, on one hand, he's overwhelmed. He, he's, he's on overload. On the other hand, he's so thankful and he's so emotional and he's trying to process it. And before he can even take a breath in this new state of being that he's in, he's got the high court of the Pharisees in his face interrogating him about what just happened. Isn't it funny how one problem turns into another? There's people in this room that know what that's like. Have you ever had a blessing you didn't really have time to celebrate? Because just as you were about to blow out the candles on the blessing celebration, here comes trouble that you ain't never seen before. Have you ever had to fight during your own party, your own celebration, because things were coming against you out of nowhere? Sixth reason I feel bad is, is the most important, beautiful moment of his life is being spoiled. By trifling people. Now I'm thinking about trifling people. Listen. Trifling people are always going to be trifling people. That's what they is. But they got terrible timing. I understand you're trifling and you got to be trifling because that's who you are. But, but can you give me a minute? You don't even have to change and become a better person. I know you're trifling, but, but can I have one moment to process through my optic nerve all of these things that I'm seeing? Can I have one? Can I have a moment to shed a tear of joy that I can see? And they're in his face. I want you to catch the most important moment of his life before you can enjoy it. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was a blind man, that includes the Pharisees, they said, is not this he who sat and begged? The blind man who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, no, he just looks like him. And he said, no, it's, I'm me. It's a terrible thing. When you have to explain your own identity. Now, what I want you to, to subtly pick up on in the message, and I'll try to take it away from the subtle realm and make it real big and bright. I want you to see the dismissiveness in how they referred to him. They didn't use his name. They didn't even use a nickname, which is dismissive. They called him the blind beggar. Ow, let me talk about something. Let's talk about nicknames for a minute. You got to be careful calling people outside of their name. Because one of the plagues that is a scourge of our society today is dishonor and disrespect. And the root of it is pride and having a dismissive attitude about other people. So when, you know, nobody thinks when they're using a nickname that they're being dismissive. And you don't think that because your paradigm is broken and you think more highly of yourself than you ought. And so in a conversation with another person, you'll expect them to use your name, but you'll give them some kind of little name to, to subtly belittle them and just bring them down. So in the conversation, you're over them. You know? Now, it's not always the case, but it's a fine line. Let me explain. 
Nicknames are only ever one of two things. Only ever one of two things. They're either a term of endearment or they're a remark of dismissiveness. And the line is razor thin. You know, for example, I have two sons. Their names are Levi and Samuel. But because of my relationship to them, the intimacy we share supersedes formality. You know, I feed them and all that. And, uh, and bathe them and dress them and discipline them and wipe their knees and clean their pee up off the floor. You know, so because of all that, there's little things I call them around the house. Now, if you were to hear me call them one of those names, and I don't do it because I know how church people are. If you hear a daddy call his son something, everyone thinks they can call the son what the daddy calls the son. So I don't use those names around here. But, but if, I, if I were and you heard one of those little names I call my son and then you called my son that, I would look at you a little strange because you ain't wiped his hiney. You ain't cleaned up his pee. You ain't fed him, clothed him, disciplined him, raised him. So for you to say it is not a term of endearment, it's a, it's a, little, it's a little dismissive. You see what I'm saying? And I just bring up that point to say that the way we speak to each other, what we call each other, what we identify each other as, and the way we identify ourselves is so important. It's not some petty little thing. It's a very, very subtle strategy of the enemy to get your identity reduced, either by people around you that he's using to speak to you to slowly but surely whittle your identity away, or even lying to you about your own name and your own self and convincing you to call yourself something that God has not called you. And what I want you to notice in the text is I know that this is demonic, what the Pharisees are saying. I know it's coming as an infusion from the enemy. Because not only did they not use his name, not only did they not use a nickname, which is dismissive enough. It's not like they said, oh, there's Blindy. They didn't even use a nickname. They said, there's the blind beggar. They're, they're, they're allowing themselves to be used as an instrument of Satan to name him by what he's been through. And I'm preaching this message today because the enemy's been trying to do the same thing to you. He's trying to name you by the things that you have been through. He's trying to swallow up your identity in your past. This man's name has been swallowed up in his trouble and a name is a lot to lose. A good name will open doors for you before you even arrive on the property. A bad name, a bad Bad reputation, bad credit will keep the door closed. A good name is a blessing. A bad name is a curse. And the devil has been fighting you and the fight is about your name. It's about your identity. It's about your reputation. It's about your credit. It's about your integrity. But God is about to restore your name. Push somebody say, put some respect on my name. The enemy hated this miracle, not only because the man received his vision, but by Jesus healing the man's eyes, it also cursed the label that the enemy had been calling the man every day of his life. For over 25 years, the enemy's been calling him the blind man, the blind man, the blind man, the blind beggar, the blind man. And in one moment, one miracle from Jesus totally took that name and that moniker and that label and and absolutely crushed it. And I'm telling you, there are moments in the presence of the Lord where God will crush the name that the enemy has been using to speak over your life, over your future, over your family, over your children. One moment in the presence of the Lord and God will crush the name. 
And the Lord spoke to me and said to tell you he's about to remove the problem that's suppressing your true identity. I don't know who I'm preaching to. The Lord told me to tell you he's about to crush the problem that's been suppressing your true identity. When God called Abraham in the original covenant of faith, one of the first things God said to Abraham is he said, you walk with me, boy, and I'm going to make your name great. You walk with me, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to get my name back. I'm going to get my name back. If God wants to make my name great, I'm going to posture and position myself in a place where I can receive what's due to my name. If God Almighty wants to put some respect on my name, then I'll be you know what if I let any natural human being come up to me and disrespect something that God has respected. I don't know why God respected my name. I didn't do nothing to deserve him respecting my name but since by grace he has respected my name I'm not gonna let you disrespect me when God has respected me I'm not gonna let no neighbor or no co-worker or no friend or no chicken head little tiny neck person start to disrespect what God has respected And you don't hear what I'm preaching yet, and it's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to press you. I'm, I'm not going to harp on the point. You either get this or you don't. You either eat or you don't. It's fine with me. But I just want to give you one little thing. I want to teach you how to handle dismissiveness. Y'all don't want to learn. I don't care. I'll teach this side. I want to teach you how to handle dismissiveness. Nobody over here has ever been dismissed by anybody, has never been disrespected by anybody. But if you've been disrespected lately, if you've been dismissed lately, and the dismissiveness of people has gone to your heart, let me tell you how you handle dismissiveness. When people are dismissive with you, you turn right around and you become dismissive to their dismissiveness. Do you hear me? When they dismiss you, take a dismissive attitude with their dismissiveness. That's what Jesus said. He told the disciples, you go into a house or you go to preach a word to some people and they receive it. They, they open up their spirits. They get engaged. They, 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 they love it. They show up. They're present. He said, you get people like that, you leave your peace on them. Jesus. On the other hand, you go into a house and they're just sitting at you like a bullfrog looking at you, wishing you'd shut up because they want to get to the restaurant. Jesus said they don't receive you. If they're dismissive of your gift, just shake the dust off your feet and go on. You got to learn to stop taking the dismissiveness of people so personally. You got to learn to understand that one of the arrows the enemy will shoot into your heart and into your mind to try to stall your progression is he'll use the dismissive, disrespectful attitudes of little people who ain't going nowhere themselves. When people are dismissive with you, dismiss them. When they are disrespectful of you, disrespect their disrespect. Turn on your heel and walk the other way. Because there are some good people out there. There are some people that will receive you. There are some people that do want you to come. There are some people when they won't come see you in San Antonio that will fly you to New Zealand and say, preach us the word of God. I'm going somewhere. If I have to go to New Zealand to get somebody to stand and shout, I'll fly to New Zealand. But I'm going somewhere. I'm not going to live this life, walk this road, have this gift, and have people constantly dismiss, 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 dismiss. God's got better for me than that. Somebody say, put some respect on my name. So the text reads like an interrogation. They make him come and tell the story over and over and over again. And the sad thing is, these people don't care about this man. They're only interested in the man because he had been healed by Jesus. Let me prove to you 
how uninterested they were in the man. They didn't even know if he was really the man. Which means they were so dismissive of him, they had walked by him all of his life and yet weren't really sure what he looked like. So they kept asking him, you know, and, and they're trying to get him to say something that will incriminate Jesus. They're trying to create a scandal against Jesus, not with evidence, but with words. Most of the scandals that happen in your life won't even be based on evidence. It'll be based on the words of somebody that hates the level that you're operating in. And when they can't keep you down with their dismissiveness, dismissiveness will only keep you down so long. When you finally grow up and realize, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care if you don't receive me. Somebody will. When dismissiveness no longer works, the next step is scandal. I don't know if you're eating like I'm serving, but... And finally, it comes out, well, he did, he did perform the miracle on the Sabbath. And they called Jesus in the text a sinner. <laughs> People crazy. Crazy. It's the most oxymoronic thing ever said. Jesus is a sinner. And all of this is happening to Jesus. He's now carrying that label. You know, because when people hate you, they need to put a label on you. When people hate your race, they'll stick a label on you. When people hate you at work, they'll stick a label on you. You know? When people hate you in school, they'll stick a label on your teacher's pet. When people hate you, they'll stick a label on you to try to validate their hate and brand you, not with your name, but brand you with their label. I don't know about you. I'm sick of getting branded. I'm sick of getting branded. Ain't none of y'all my daddy, so none of you got naming rights to name me. I've been named. I got a name. Stop letting people name Letting people name you. And all of this happened to Jesus. Doing something good. It's not like he was trying to be controversial and shake the world, you know. He just was healing a man that couldn't see. And as a result of doing something good. <laughs> but you know what it was? They hated him because the blind man and his family had been going to their synagogue for 25 years. And Jesus did the thing they couldn't do. You better be careful when you can do something that people around you can't do. They won't love you for it. They will hate you for it. They will resent you for it. They will resist you for it. When you can do something they can't do, get ready for all hell to break loose against you just because you can do. Why did Saul end up hating David? Because David killed the giant he couldn't kill. And when you can kill giants everybody else is scared of, it don't matter how much they clap for you and love you at first, I promise you a javelin is coming at your back. It won't be long. When you kill something they couldn't kill, a javelin is formed. So everybody's interested in the man now. You know, he's six hours before he's, he's on the street corner begging for alms blind. Yeah. And 
You know how most societies treat beggars. You know how you do when, when the man on the corner with the cup comes up to your car and you sitting there blasting with your nice sound system in your leather seats, have some cash in the cup holder, just chilling, and the man comes up. What do you do? You, you know, you just look straight ahead. Something about seeing a beggar makes most of us feel guilty like we should, but we're just too selfish. And when we see the poor and the beggars, it reminds us of just how selfish we are and how good we have it. So we often just look away. This is the man that everyone is trained and used to looking away from. Or if they do give him something, they don't look at him. They just drop it in the bucket and they keep moving. He's a man that's never really been seen. A man that can't see himself that's never really been seen. And now all eyes are on him. Everybody's in his face. Everybody wants his story. Everybody wants a piece of him. Watch out for people who rush into your life because of who you're connected to. Hadn't called me, texted me, messaged me, emailed me, seen me in years and find out somebody I'm connected to. And all of a sudden, hey, bro. If you're watching me online and you happen to be one of the ones the quickest way to never get a response text message from me is to call me bro. I have a name. My name is Jason. Hey, bro, been thinking about you, man. No, you ain't been thinking about me. You've been thinking about what you can get from me or who I could connect you to. And they're doing the same thing to the man. They don't care about him. But they know he just got something from Jesus. Gotta be careful when you really start getting blessed by Jesus. Because the light of his favor will start shining on you. But that light also attracts witches and demons and spirits that want to come and try to attack and discredit what God is doing in your life. When you've been waiting on a door for a long time and the door finally opens, don't take anybody new with you. Don't take anybody new with you. Because the motive for connecting to you could be just because of what you receive. Thanks, brother. The Pharisees bring the man back the fifth time in the text. And uh, verse 24, they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, don't go around praising Jesus for this. Jesus is a sinner. But, uh, you know, give God the glory. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. You know, when you get real help from somebody, it won't matter what their flaws are. This man doesn't know that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he is not capable. You know, he's, he's, he's sinless. He's per this man doesn't know that. He said, well, it may be, you know, whether he's a sinner or not. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know your laws. I don't know your religions. I don't know what constitutes a sin to you and what doesn't. Uh, I don't know any of those things. I've been blind all my life. I'm a little behind. There's no Braille. I couldn't read the Torah. I, I don't know everything yet. I can't really explain this one. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Um, all I know is when I met him, I was blind. And 
now, now I can see. Now, the man throughout the entire text keeps working the same thing. His eyes weren't working before. Jesus opens his eyes. Jesus gives him one thing that's working now, his eyes. And the man keeps working what's working. He keeps working the testimony of I once was blind, now I see. Every different group that asks him, he doesn't try to get into explanation mode. He doesn't try to relate to them and try to make them come to the level. He just keeps working what's working. I once was blind and now I see. I can't explain it. I don't have a, a booklet I can give you. I can't walk you through all the steps. I once was blind but now I see. God told me to tell you to keep working what's working. If God did something for you and blessed you, keep working what's working because blessings are coming your way that you're not going to be able to explain. Blessings are coming your way that you're not going to be able to figure out with your natural mind. So just keep working what's working. Oh, somebody ought to give God a praise right there. I said somebody ought to give God a praise right there. What Jesus really did for the man though was a greater work for his reputation and his name than it was for his eyes. What Jesus did for the man was he extended the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that God had originally made. He said, I will make your name great. So, he removes the affliction from the man that had misnamed him. But people still kept calling him. And I hope you saw that in the middle of the controversy, they go and they get the man's daddy. It's the most broken. There's a, there's a derogatory curse word to, to describe your behind. It's the most, that word, backwards. <laughs> thing I have ever seen. Because the man is in an overwhelmed state. And he's being attacked. You know, you understand there was no separation in church and state and that the Pharisees were also the rulers of the legal system in the court. The man is in deep trouble with the court. They're threatening to arrest him if he doesn't give them the right information. And so they bring his parents to speak to the issue. And his daddy's standing there. And his daddy said, let him speak for himself. Too many fathers in this generation are looking at sons that are in trouble. And because of their own fear, they're standing back and saying, let him, let him speak for himself. Let him fend for himself. Oh, you got to be better than that, man. You got to be better than that. My son's school now hates calling me. In fact, I've caught him a couple of times calling me, hanging up and calling my wife. Because every time they call me about how bad my son is, I give it right back to him. I give it right back to him. He's being so bad. He's not following the class. He's not learning right. Maybe you're not teaching right. Have you, have you considered changing up the style? Have you considered trying to relate on another area? I'm going to tell you one thing. My son's brilliant. My son's smart. My son's strong. My son. Now, nobody, nobody ever get on that boy like I get on him. But you get on him. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I told one teacher, you don't know what you're dealing with. 
I said, you're dealing with a little warrior. I said, before his skin, when his skin was so paper thin and he hadn't received any thickness of his skin or the color of his skin yet, when he was born on neonatal ICU for six months, he was poked in the arm with a needle in that thin skin 692 times, survived brain surgery, survived a hole in the heart, survived everything they said he wouldn't survive. I said, you don't know a stronger kid. I said, there ain't a stronger kid in that school. You're saying he's strong-willed. I guess he is strong-willed. He had to be strong-willed enough to tell death to keep going back to hell where it came from. Levi, don't you ever let anybody down your name. Don't you ever let anybody down talk you. Don't you ever let anybody misrepresent who you are. Remember who you are. Make them put some respect on your name. Samuel, make them respect your name. Sons and daughters here, make them respect your name. Put some respect on my name. Say it. You are not what the devil said you are. You are not what people have said you are. You are what God in heaven has said you are. And before it's over, God's going to make the devil and people put some respect on your name. There's a blessing called the blessing of recognition. When God makes other people finally recognize the real you that they have been ignoring. And I prophesy that the blessing of recognition is coming in this house. You're going to notice it when you're walking through your office and your boss who never looks at you starts giving you promotion. You're going to notice when your inbox starts filling up with contracts and opportunities because the blessing of recognition is on you. God said, I will make your name great. I can't preach any harder. If you're going to praise, praise now. If you're going to receive it, receive now. If you're going to grab it, grab now. Come on, come on. I can't receive it for you. I can't praise him for you. You got to go for this one for yourself. But I'm telling you, respect is coming to your name. Respect is coming to your house. Respect is coming to your community. Respect. to think I like to think that when God saw his own daddy didn't stand up and speak for him I like to think God put something extra on him you know because the Bible says if your mother and father forsake you the Lord will bear you up and there's some people here you weren't treated right in your raising you had some people in your family that should have spoke for you they should have stood up for you when you were abused. But out of fear, just like this man's daddy, out of fear, let them deal with it themselves. And left you dealing for years with something you didn't even have the wherewithal at the time to speak to. times you desperately needed advice, times you desperately needed somebody to just hear you out, and they left you just to speak for yourself. In fact, some of you are wondering why you've received the favor you've received. And I want to tell you, it's not because of a shout or a dance or a $20 seed you threw on the altar. Some of the favor you got is God noticing every time you were dismissed, every time you were rejected, every time no one spoke for you that should have, every time. And he just, he just, he decided to bear you up for what you didn't get. But from here on out, 
Be careful who you let call you. Be careful who you let name you. Be careful who you let label you. As a father, I'm not the only father here, but as a father, I want to name you. You're the blessed of God. The forgiven of God by your faith in Jesus Christ. You're the righteousness of God. You're the recipients of God's grace. You have dominion. You walk, live, talk, think, act, operate in dominion. Never forget who you are. Never forget who you are. Never forget the words that God has spoken through this pulpit, through myself, through the bishop, or through other ministers we brought in. Never forget who you are. Your identity is tied up in the words of your father. Your identity is tied up in the words of your father that he uses anointed men to preach over your head. Every time you come to church, you're getting named. Every time you come to church, you're getting named. Every time you come to church, you're getting reaffirmed. Every time you come to church, you get reminded who you really are. Out there swimming in that toxic soup of this society. And then you come in here on Sunday for God to reaffirm, remind you, and tell you, I'm still going to make your name great. You're still who I called you to be. You're still what I destined. Before I formed thee in the womb, Jeremiah, I ordained thee as a prophet to the nation. It doesn't matter what they say. Jeremiah didn't want to prophesy because he was afraid of their faces or their dismissiveness. There is nothing more draining, exhausting, and frustrating to a preacher than getting what is an actual, real word hot off the coals of heaven's fire and bringing it to people who you know desperately need it. And presenting it to them and having them just dismiss it. It's enough to drive some people crazy. And it has driven some of our preachers crazy. Some of the things that you look at famous preachers and you call scandals. It's not, that's part of the story. The other part of the story is they were driven to that craziness by trying to pastor hard-headed people like you. And Jeremiah got sick of it. And he said, God, I, I can't deal with the dismissiveness of their faces. God said, no, don't even look at their faces or dismiss their dismissiveness. That's good. And just do what I named you. Receive it or not, shout or not, like it or not, come back or not. Just do what I named you. Or just be who you are. Pastors, they're watching me online. A lot of you texted me today, said you were going to tune in today. You thought this was going to be the last service of the revival, and it is. Your mental health is up under assault. Because you haven't learned to dismiss their dismissiveness. You are not called to make them receive. You're simply called to present. Turn your back and walk off. Now, that may have got me another ticket to New Zealand. I hope. I hope. I hope. Stop letting people call you those stupid little names. It seems all innocent, and that's how the enemy wants it to seem. Wants to keep you down. Wants to keep the the dignity that you walk with. You know, if you know you're perceived as being better, you'll act better. You know, you know if, you, if you perceive that you're respected, you'll be more respectable. You know, stop lowering yourself to people that don't even have the sense to call you by your given name.
what if they leave me? God will send more and they'll be better. So win-win. Stand to your feet, lift up your hands. Say, God, by your grace, I'm believing you to put some respect on my name, to raise my level, to increase me, to favor me in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to live down to what they called me. I'm going to live up to what you have called me in the name of Jesus. Give God a great praise all over the house. Listen, if, if you gave in summer revival, you've given. You've given. And we love you and we appreciate it. We're going to receive an offering now. If you want to give something again, you can. But let me tell you, just trust me, you've given. If you didn't come to Summer Revival and you're part of this church, shame on you, number one. Do better next time. And uh, number two, uh, the least you could do is get a seed in the atmosphere where all that amazing demonstration of the power of God was preached in. So if you have something you want to give, you can get an envelope or you can text it. I know that God will bless your crazy self even if you missed all three nights of revival because God's just nice like that, all right? Fathers, the people prepare to give, I ask that you bless them, that you strengthen them that you encourage them, that you uplift them, and that you make their name great. I pray for a 300-point credit score change right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody in this middle section, God's about to change your credit score. He's going to change the way lenders see you. God's about to change it. I pray God... I pray God expunges the record on your name. In the name of Jesus, there's something on your record that's been keeping you from able to, to move into some things you wanted to move into. I pray God expunges that record because to make your name great. Your name great. Your name great. Your name great. Your name. The one everybody called a hoe. The one everybody called a player. The one everybody said they always having marriage problems. The one everybody called broke. The one everybody called dumb. The one everybody said couldn't do it. That God would make your name great. 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 The blessing of the Lord be upon you as you prepare to give. Lord, you see their seed. Bless them accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can give and then you're dismissed. Make sure you love on somebody that's a good father today.